80 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. And I was doing all I could right then to try to stifle a hiccup. I thought I took care of those. I've been trying to record for about five minutes and uh, and, and got the hiccups. And I've tried like the swallowing and the water and that sort of thing. So um, forgive me. I'm going to leave them in because that's uh, going to go right along today with part of what the um, the topic of the podcast is. Episode 80. I mean, welcome to the 80s. Now we're talking. This is my decade. This is when I grew up. Um, let me let me see what I can kind of pull off my uh, the top of my head here. We got 80s hair bands, uh, what, leg warmers, new wave music, IZOD shirts, um, MTV, phrases, uh, gag me with a spoon, uh, tubular. We had after school specials, the Walkman, um, break dancing, always my favorite jokes about whenever we're throwing out cardboard at our house. My wife, I'm always asking my wife, um, do we keep enough cardboard for my break dancing? Uh, what, what else? Um, was, was Teddy Ruxpin awesome or was he creepy? Uh, mixtapes, long phone cords, trapper keepers, and uh, don't even forget the be kind rewind. Um, actually, so how many of you who grew up in the eighties have had that experience as your kid now binges on all 10 episodes of something like Stranger Things in one setting? of even remotely trying to describe what life was like with the three or the four channels and VHS cassettes and having to fast forward or rewind, like for real, only to see your kid's eyes gloss over as they tell you they're bored while they're scrolling through Instagram with one earbud in and all the while being aware enough that if a sibling runs by, um, they can trip them. Yet, I digress. So welcome to episode 80. And uh, super quick, as always, thanks for the continued support and feedback. Um, head over to TonyOverbay.com. Sign up there to receive more info on upcoming programs and podcasts and all that good stuff. And on Instagram at Virtual Couch. And I wanted to let you know that I did an interview last week with Heidi Linford. Um, she is from the Joyful Soul Project. That's the name of her podcast. Go find Heidi's podcast and subscribe. I think, uh, I'll link, well, I think I will link to it in the show notes. And I'm excited for that interview to air, but I think it's going to be in a couple of weeks. But I know, I think last week she had on um, friend of the podcast, Jody Moore. So she's, Heidi's had some really good interviews there, but we covered everything. I mean, I really, I love the ones where I get to be interviewed on someone else's podcast because uh, typically they can kind of get me going on a number of topics. So we covered marriage, we covered parenting, we covered uh, pornography addiction, we covered betrayal trauma, um, intimacy, you name it. She brought it out into me and I'm excited um, for you to hear that. So, all right, where I want to go today is I want to talk about one of the questions that I get asked the most. And here is what it typically sounds like. I mean, it's not very complicated, actually. But the question is that I mention. I often mention the phrase being authentic, but what does that actually mean? Is that just a therapy buzzword, being authentic? And it comes up into my practice often, too. So I'm going to tell a few stories today. I remember a few years ago that I was asking somebody where it was that they felt like they could truly be authentic. And I meant this in this situation as a place to kind of build from. I was trying to find a place where we could say, okay, here's here's something, here's where we can start raising your emotional baseline. Where do you feel like you're being the most authentic? 
And, and the person kind of froze. And it was one of those situations where in therapy, you often say, you know, never ask the question that, uh, that you don't know the answer to. Um, okay. Super funny example. This to me, I guess, is I had a couple in once and, uh, the, the, the wife looked over to me and asked me, you know, I actually had to do, I mentioned hiccups earlier, but it had to do with, I think kind of burping or something. And she said, Oh, you know, my husband will burp or something in front of the kids and they giggle and they laugh. And she looks over at me. She's like, I mean, yeah, you've never done that, right? And I just thought, ah, okay, talk about needing to be authentic here. I was kind of like, kind of have, you know, so uh, I have to say that. And then I felt like I kind of lost her at that moment. And I felt like the guy kind of just had that little smile on his face or something. Um, But here's the part where with this, this person I'm talking about in particular, and by the way, I'm not saying that I sit here and I belch during therapy. I mean, that's not the point. Although... Watch this tangent. Fun fact, I was just sharing with this with somebody last week. One of the things that I never saw coming in therapy, and I don't know if it's just because people get in here and they are just they are just talking. They talk and they talk and they talk, and maybe they're not used to talking that much. But I will tell you once or twice a week, probably, it's probably not as dramatic as I think, but you just got somebody who's talking and talking and then kind of out comes a little bit of a burp. They didn't see it coming. They say, excuse me. And now having done this for so long, I, you know, I often want to say perfectly normal. People do it all the time in my office. Um, but again, it's not like I'm sitting in here doing burp therapy or something like that. Uh, but in this situation, though, with this guy, I'm saying, all right, tell me about this time that you were authentic and I'm ready for him to just give me something that we can work with. And then he kind of, again, this this look that I just knew we he wasn't necessarily going into a good place in his head. Um, he was in a marriage that he wasn't happy. He wasn't happy with his parenting style. Um, he was in a career where he felt like he wasn't necessarily engaged. Um, he was struggling with his faith. He had turned to unhealthy behaviors to cope. Uh, so there were all these feelings of disconnect, and it just really didn't go where I hoped it would go. And I remember that, again, it was two or three years ago, and it was one of the times where I started thinking about how how authentic are, was I at the time or how authentic um, are people in my family or and I really started trying to work more toward helping people find out who their authentic self was. And, and it kind of reminded me why I had left my first career in the software industry, because at that time, I felt like I wasn't being allowed to be authentic. And I was young. I didn't have the skills or the knowledge at that time to feel like I could do anything about it. I mean, I look back on it now, and of course, I could. But I remember working for a company once where we would attend meetings and we were a fairly small company. And whoever we were meeting with would maybe ask us at some point, how big's your company? And I learned quickly that I, I couldn't say anything. I mean, I knew, I knew exactly how many people pulled into the parking lot at work. And, uh, but depending on who we were talking to, you know, maybe the higher ups at the company would say that phrases like, Oh, we're under 50 employees, which technically was true. But sometimes, I mean, we were about 42 or 43 employees under 50. Or if uh, they asked what were our sales, sometimes we would say we were under 50 million or we were under 10 million. Again, technically correct, but we were way under 50 or way under 10. And, and I understand where they, you know, what the person was trying to do with that. But I remember when I left that particular company and I started my own, my very first dive into working for myself, I remember typing up my initial LinkedIn profile. And I think I might have even had it on my about page of, of that, of the first website that I, that I made. Um, but I went overboard about being honest, or in this case, it was being authentic. I talked about, you know, being able to leave the daily rat race of the corporate grind and being able to be honest about the things that I did and the products I made. And if I felt like they were, they were something that my customers needed or not. And I sold these hard drive duplicators. Sounds exciting, right? They would literally take one hard drive and copy the data to another. And they did so in a way that then the hard drive could be um, used in a police forensic examination, could be in court and maintain this chain of evidence and all this kind of fun stuff. But I remember taking calls early on where I felt like 
Um, if somebody was going to be buying my duplicator and it would be overkill, then I would tell them and I would point customers to products or solutions that would do the job for much, much less. And I felt good about that. And, and I was possibly missing a sale. But the, the funny thing was that many of these customers would then kind of be surprised that I was telling them that my solution was too expensive. And the and super ironic thing was that often led to a sale because of my honesty. So kind of funny, right? But the key was at that time, I felt like I was being authentic. So how often do you run across somebody who becomes a totally different person depending on where they are or who they're with, you know, whoever's in front of them, the crowd that they're running with. In front of you, they are positive and kind, but, you know, when somebody else comes in the room, then all of a sudden they are, uh, they might kind of be a little bit cold or, or maybe it's the opposite where in front of you, they kind of act like uh, disengaged, but then when somebody else comes in the room, then they're excited. Um, I hesitated on telling this story, but it's such a positive story. I had a friend once attend a wedding where the singer David Archuleta was a guest. And I don't know if you remember him, um, his, his rendition of Imagine on American Idol, I, I, I think about often. It was amazing. But uh, seems like the nicest guy in the world, right? So then I'm just joking around with my friend. I, I was like, okay, hey, uh, you were at that wedding. Tell me what he was like, right? And I was, I was like, tell me some dirt on David. You know, when he's not on camera, is he telling the wait staff to fetch me this or fetch me that? Or is he tripping little kids when they run by? You know, what's he really like? And my buddy said, oh, no, no, he's uh, smiling and taking pictures with everybody who approaches him. He's thanking them for, uh, for you know, listening to his music. And then apparently at this uh, particular event, something had gone south at one point with some planning or delivery or I forget what the details were. But he said, he's like, get this. Who was the first guy, you know, in the kitchen or doing dishes or who was the first guy to jump in and volunteer where he wasn't needed? David Archuleta. He was rolling up his sleeves and volunteering. So guess what? He was being authentic. What you saw in him, whether you saw him on American Idol or in an interview, was what you got. And, uh, and I have to tell you, right now, I'm working with a, a somebody who one would consider maybe is a fairly big deal. And I joked with him or her, see what I'm doing there with confidentiality, that I was going to out them as being awesome. Um, not really, because again, that would break confidentiality. But he or she was telling me that their being their authentic self was something they had to kind of choose a few years ago. And it was so much easier in the long run than trying to be somebody that they weren't. And in their particular industry, they there are tons of people who are being people that they they aren't really being, that they aren't being authentic. Um, this person said, he or she said, that they were aware that they may have actually missed out on an opportunity or two because of being so authentic or passing on things that they didn't feel were right for them or even kind of standing up a little bit for some of the things that they believed. But they felt like they were being totally honest. And at the end of the day, they they talked about just feeling unburdened from from not being authentic in the past. Okay, that was a pause. I think I'll take out. That was uh, that was kind of holding back a hiccup. I should have let that one go. Um, and it's easier too to feel like you can stand up for yourself or gently correct others when you know that you're being authentic or true to yourself. So, and here's what I mean by that. Let me give you an example. I have a I have a, a client. I just I love this client to death. And this client at one point came in and said. Uh, I had said something like their hair looked nice or something. And I'm horrible about, about that. I mean, I trying to be more observant. I don't notice those things as much. I'm so grateful that my own wife puts like hair appointment things on the calendar. I always give the calendar a glance. So I will know she's getting her hair cut on this particular day. So when I come home, I will say, 
oh my gosh, your hair looks amazing. But I'm being authentic though. I really do because my wife is beautiful and, and she could have her hair long or short or curly or actually shave her head, whatever. I think she's going to look great. Uh, but I remember at first, and actually I think I do notice it now more. But at that time, I, I felt like, you know, uh, hey, I'm, I'm noticing. I'm, I, that, that date on the calendar helped me know that she had got her hair cut. Anyway, I was darn near going off on a tangent there. This particular person said, you know, I said, hey, your hair looks nice because I knew I could tell it was different. And this person said to me, um, it's like, oh, that's really nice of you to notice because, man, you know, a few weeks ago you said how much you hated my hair. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, wait, what, what, what did – and she's like, yeah, you said, oh, I hate the way your hair looks. And that's the part where I know – here's me being authentic. This is the, the beauty of being authentic. There is – I do not tease people about physical appearances. I don't make negative comments about physical appearances because I know that those things can hurt. I might make a joke about a situation that someone might be in, but I'm never going to say, man, look at that belly, right? Or, hey, how about those love handles? Now, I might do that to myself because currently right now I am working on my love handles as far as like increasing them. I would like to be decreasing them. But, uh, you know, I grew up a guy that was losing his hair at the age of uh, 17, 18. I, w- I used to pull my bangs up and we would all laugh. Oh, look how high Tony's hair – head is. And at the time I, I laughed because I didn't know that it meant that, oh yeah, give me about a year and then all my hair is gone. But you know, I'm not a big tall guy. I was teased about my height, teased about my hair, uh, that sort of thing. So I grew up not wanting to tease people about their physical traits. So here's somebody telling me, you told me you hated my hair. The funny thing too is, and, I, and I'm feeling this right now, I don't even say the word hate with my little kids. That was always the, the H word, right? I would say maybe we don't like something, but not hate. So this woman says, you told me specifically that you hate my hair. So I know the authentic me says that those are things that I that I do not say, that I do not do. So in that situation, although I have to tell you, I had to model this empathetic response, this emotionally focused therapy, this EFT that I so preach. I wanted to tell this person, you're wrong, that you're completely wrong. That is not what I said. I had to sit there and go, ah, okay, tell me more. Tell, tell me what you remember about that or what you think. And then they said, you said you hated my hair this day. And I was like, man, I am so sorry if I put you in the spot where you felt like that's what I said. And then I was able to share my truth, right? I was able to say, man, I, I, I feel like that's, uh, that's so hard for me to hear because, and then I was able to, to share that, you know, like cue some violin music. And from the time I was a child, I didn't pick on people's hair or that sort of thing. And, but anyway, I, I knew that I was, I knew the authentic me doesn't say those things. And so I was able to kind of correct that a little bit. You know, when I work with clients who are involved in relationships, for example, kind of on the same note, if they're working with somebody who might maybe have a personality disorder, let's take a narcissist, for example, something I get so many emails about um, after the episode I did on narcissism. So I'm teaching them how to disengage from a lot of experts simply call the crazy making conversations or being gaslit. These are the conversations where my client might say to their partner, you know, I'm worried that we aren't doing all we can as parents. And rather than having an empathetic response from a partner like, oh, man, tell me tell me more about that. Tell me where that's coming from. Um, tell me about your day. Tell me what's going on there. Why are you thinking that way? Let's figure this out. They get a response like, well, you know, I've kind of been waiting for you to say that because honestly, if you'd get your act together, then maybe they wouldn't be doing what they're doing now because you know it's not me because I don't let them get away with that stuff, you know, or something like that to that effect. Which, you know, if you've been in one of those conversations, you already know at that point it's not going to go well. So I do work with clients who um, were trying to learn how to disengage. So at that point, if they know that a conversation isn't going to be productive, then they learn how to kind of step back and not, again, not go tit for tat, not go to battle, not go get in their bunker and start throwing out insults because we know that's not productive. But uh, where was I going with that? Okay, so when you are truly comfortable with your authenticity – 
then the one time that you may engage in a situation like this is when the narcissist or actually when anyone tries to speak for you or tries to join you in with their beliefs. Like, like I kind of mentioned there before where, you know, you, you told me you hated my hair. You know, then if you know the authentic you can speak up for yourself in that situation. Here's an example that will kind of illustrate that. So this is maybe you're talking to somebody and they say, well, you know how we both don't like cats. And meanwhile, you're literally like wearing a shirt that says, I love cats. I love every kind of cat. And your job is you run a home for wayward kittens and you happen to have a podcast called Cats Are My Life. So if you're authentic, then you say, oh, no, 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 I, I love cats. I mean, I really do. I'm going to stand up for that one. Instead of just kind of feeling like, well, I don't know. I'd, I don't want to like make them feel silly or anything like that. If we're being authentic, we are going to speak up for ourselves. There is, uh, we, we want to hold our boundaries. So what the inauthentic person does, however, is that when they are around somebody that they know doesn't like cats, then they might say, yeah, I don't really like them either. You know, or when they're in a group and people are all talking bad about cats, they don't say a word. The authentic person would say, you know, I love you guys, but I have to tell you, I love cats. So back to my question. How often do you run across that person who changes, um, you know, they, they change who they are at every turn? Is that somebody that you're typically drawn to or somebody that you are impressed with? I mean, I would, I would guess probably not. Or are you ever that person? And I have to tell you that part of why I love what I do and part of why I wanted to start the podcast is because that I really am feeling like I'm on this journey to being authentic myself and authentic with the things that I've learned in my practice over the last decade. It got to the point where that's where I just felt like I wanted to share enough so that I just desperately want to help. So just some examples of that. You know, if we look at the world of the, and I'm going to go through a few of these. So, um, but if you go through the world of pornography addiction, for the most part, um, it, we know it's a coping mechanism for people who don't feel connected, uh, people who aren't happy with their relationships or their careers or their health or their parenting styles. And they have maybe had early exposure to pornography addiction. So the wiring of the brain becomes a bit set so that whenever they have these uncomfortable feelings, these feelings of, of inadequacy, these feelings of disconnect, when those feelings occur, the brain naturally says, I know what we can do. I know what we can do so you don't have to feel the negative feelings that you're feeling. Here's a place that we can go and check out. Even though immediately afterward, that person is not going to feel good about themselves. But where I was going with this is we know that there's so much good data and evidence around removing the guilt and the toxic shame around addiction. The addict already knows that it's bad. They don't want to be doing the behavior. The data is there in droves. I've worked with over a thousand men who have this problem and there is a way to overcome it. There is hope. Even people who didn't think that there was, but the road to recovery is not paved in shame, um, that's me being authentic. I can't back down from that. Addiction is fueled by shame. The addict brain already is convinced that it can't get better. It's tried. So as soon as I let the next person down, this is the addict brain saying that, then I can get right back to my addiction. So when I'm working with someone, I beg them to trust me and that there's not going to be the guilt or shame from me. Um, bring me your data. We can work with this day by day. Let's find the victories. Let's find hope. There are solutions there. No, you haven't tried everything. And a big piece of that is removing the shame. That is part of my my authentic story now. Um, marriages, emotionally focused therapy, EFT, one of these soapbox items, it's an evidence-based method, method that works. It, it creates um, a framework to communicate. Emotionally focused therapy is about being vulnerable. It's about making these emotional bids. It's about attachment theory, um, issues around attachment growing up or in er our early relationships where we have tried to be vulnerable or we've tried to be authentic with somebody, but they've responded in a way that has felt fixing or judge judgy and, uh, and it shuts us down. So, you know, I know that having a partner listen empathetically and not respond with fixing or judgment works. So that is something that is very authentic to me. I often have uh, couples when they come in here brand new and they have been to maybe non-evidence-based um, 
uh, couples modalities for, for couples therapy, where it's maybe just, again, just the reflective listening. Tell me what they said. Tell me what they said. Now you guys have edit, uh, that they're, they're still in that mindset. So what I'm trying to say, look, I've got a framework and we want to get to the point where you feel like you can tell your partner, uh, anything where you feel like you can really open up to them emotionally and vulnerably, and you know, you can count on them. They are going to be there for you and they're going to listen to you. They're going to listen and, and say, okay, I know that my spouse did not wake up this morning and think, how am I going to you know, hurt the other person? How am I going to hurt the other spouse? We know that's not what they did. So, so then what they did instead is if they're coming to you with this emotional pain or this emotional bid, we know that we, as, as, a, as the partners, as the spouse hearing the emotional bid, we need to get in that mindset where I care about this person. I want to know where this is coming from. Again, they didn't wake up and just think, I'm going to throw this stuff out there and try to hurt me. So um, I'm going to listen with empathy. I'm going to try to try to understand my partner more. Uh, kind of going off on a little bit of a tangent there. But my whole point is being, you know, bring me that couples therapy. And, and I've got this evidence-based modality that I know I feel so authentic in me that it works, that, uh, that will work with that. Or the nurtured heart parenting. Again, it's evidence-based. It rewards positive behavior, uh, not fueling the negative. Sure, you don't celebrate negative behavior. You don't turn your back on it. But you set up clear boundaries and natural consequences. And then you look for opportunities to build inner wealth in your kids or in your spouse. Or, uh, and that's not done by telling them they're an idiot. Or, you know, do you realize how bad they're blowing it? You know, authentic me. Sorry, you can try and convince me that telling someone that you don't like them or telling somebody that they are, that again, they're blowing it or trying to shame them will work. Um, because, again, if I'm being authentic, um, I, I don't believe that's the case. Now, the truth is we all have moments of inauthenticity. In, in it can be difficult to maintain being authentic in uncomfortable situations sometimes or unfamiliar situations. And that is going to take some practice because you might worry that here's the problem. Your real self isn't going to be good enough or, or appropriate for the situation at hand. Or here's a big one that I run into or people that fear rejection. You might be around a bunch of people and then you feel less than or you feel like, you know, if they're talking about uh, politics or the news of the day, that if you jump in and say, hey, here's my authentic self. Um, I don't really watch the news, you know, and, and you feel like they're going to, oh, they're going to say, well, get out, you know, that, so we fear that rejection. So it causes us not to feel good enough. And at times that's what, a challenge of being authentic. So instead of showing up as yourself, you will show up oftentimes as the person that or you think that everybody else is going to like. The hard part for me is I'm sitting here working with people on a daily basis that are telling me about the times where somebody around them, maybe somebody in a, in a work environment, somebody in a Sunday school class, somebody in a, even in a group exercise class is letting someone know, Hey, uh, I'm, this is, uh, is this something that's hard for me? Then all of a sudden that, you know, that person, my client says, Oh man, I feel like I can say something now. Hey, that's hard for me too. You know, I'm working on a, an episode that I'm very, very uh, excited to talk about, about working with people who are struggling with um, faith crisis or faith journeys. I do a lot of, uh, a lot of Christian counseling. And in those situations, you know, there is a real fear of being authentic. Um, I'm somebody who taught an early morning uh, Sunday school class, an early morning seminary class for years. And so then one would assume that then I am incredibly knowledgeable, you know, in the scriptures or those sort of things. But I'm not. I'm just not. That's my authentic self. So I would sit in a classroom, maybe an adult Sunday school classroom, and I would have people, you know, well, uh, Tony taught seminary for uh, seven years. So I'm sure he'll know everything. And I, to the point where I almost wanted to not go to some of those classes because I was worried I would get called on. But then during this journey to my authentic self, it's like, hey, guess what? I don't have to be uh, someone with a photographic memory. I don't have to be somebody that remembers every story. Um, good for the person that does, seriously. And, and, I'm, and I mean that. Like, I'm grateful. And I wish I 
at times had that ability, but I don't. And so I'm, it's okay. That's authentic me. So I remember one of the first times that somebody called on me and said, you know, Hey, here's this uh, kind of a random story from the Old Testament. Tony, you taught seminary. Why don't you tell us about it? And I remember saying, oh, I don't remember that one at all. You know, and even the, the instructor at the time thought, hey, they'll, they thought they could have some fun and throw a little shame out there. And they're like, what? You taught all those years and you didn't? You, you don't remember that? I was like, oh, no. As a matter of fact, there's not a whole lot I remember, but I really enjoyed the situation. I love showing, you know, the students I worked with how much I loved them. I love showing them that they didn't have to be perfect. But uh, thankfully, I've got a little device in my hand that I can search for a topic or and then I can but I can tell you that story. Give me a couple of seconds because I'm really good at Googling things. There's my authentic self, right? So, so when we show up as ourselves, um, instead of showing up like the person everybody else thinks that, uh, you know, we think that everybody else will like, that's part of that journey toward being authentic. So, um, let me get to the meat of today's episode. Uh, and actually really quick, I'll, I promise I'll do this fast, but before I do that, let me, let me do throw, um, some information out here about, uh, Bloom for Women. So let me tell you, bloomforwomen.com, and they deal specifically with betrayal trauma. And if you've heard my podcast before, you know that uh, betrayal trauma is very real. I have some guests coming on in the next uh, month or two to talk a lot about betrayal trauma. But the symptoms are very similar to PTSD. And the people who have designed the bloomforwomen.com site and the content now have years and years of research under their belts. And I want to assure you that there is absolutely help. And I personally have done a lot of training in the field of betrayal trauma. And so if you're experiencing the the betrayal of a spouse after an affair, uh, an emotional affair, a physical affair. If you recently discovered that your partner has a pornography addiction, um, please stop by bloomforwomen.com. Use the coupon code virtualcouch, all one word, for one month's free access to their evidence-based information and programs, an entire community of support designed to help you grow and heal. Again, that's bloomforwomen.com. And if you happen to shave any body part in the world, ran into somebody over the weekend who shaves the top of their feet, and they were really happy to tell me about that because um, I actually had mentioned it on here many times. As a matter of fact, I always say if you're shaving your head, face, legs, arms, chest, or the top of your feet, your toes, anywhere, male, female, I would encourage you to check out Eli's Extracts. Eli's Extracts is an all-natural organic shave cream scented with essential oils and smells. Incredible. Visit Eli's Extracts, E-L-I-S-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S.com. And use coupon code VIRTUALCOUCH for 25% off your entire order for their incredible soothing healing shaving cream. Okay, so I, and I, I'm not saying that uh, all of that stuff I was doing before was rambling. That was very much the bullet points or content I wanted to get to. But what I was uh, kind of drawn to is I love when I'm going to do a topic, I'll, I'll go out there. And as I just mentioned, me being authentic, I'm pretty good at Googling. It's kind of a joke. Uh, I think a lot of people are good at uh, Googling. But I found I was looking a little bit more into authenticity, and uh, and I knew that there's a an author named Brene Brown, and she has written a number of books, and a lot of them are about being vulnerable and about being authentic. Two of the things that I preach often. So I knew I could find some good data there, and what I found was actually an article that someone wrote about Brene Brown, and uh, I really liked it. It's a woman named Madeline Fry. And the article is called Five Powerful Lessons About Authenticity Everyone Needs to Hear. And she writes for something called verilymag.com. And I'll throw the link on the show notes as well. But uh, back to Brene Brown. Um, some of the books that she's written that are just pretty amazing. Uh, the, and I got the, these from her website where she just mentioned a couple of words after the name of the book. But one, The Gifts of Imperfection, where she just said, be you. The next one, Daring Greatly, Be All In. That one's, that one's the first one I had read. And then Rising Strong. This one was uh, one I read recently, which is Fall, Get Up, Try Again. I love it. And so I'm going to be quote, quoting uh, Madeline Fry quite a bit here on quoting Brene Brown. And so I guess if you wanted to quote me quoting Madeline Fry, quoting Brene Brown, that would be kind of fun too. 
But Brene Brown's work, this is Courtney Mallon Fry, on shame, authenticity, and vulnerability uh, has been incredible. Since Brown gave her compelling TED Talk, The Power of Vulnerability, which I was doing the math, it's now eight or nine years ago, I think eight years ago, it's become one of the most viewed TED Talks of all time. And she's kind of become America's go-to guru for, as uh, Madeline Fry says, the universal emotions that no one likes to talk about, although I believe they're kind of getting more mainstream now. In her books, The Gift of Imperfection, Brown says that authenticity is the antidote to shame. How about that? We're talking about, you know, there there's nothing productive about shame. I have got a whole podcast on that. Uh, guilt, um, guilt, that can be, it's, a, it's an emotion, a kind of a regular emotion. Guilt can bring some awareness to us. Some like to say that guilt's like a stop sign. Uh, but then here comes its buddy shame. And shame is the thing that is the part that says, hey, P.S., you're a horrible person and you're always going to do these things and you're never going to get over them and that sort of thing. And too often, and when I was talking earlier about um, being my authentic self, when people go into the, do you know how bad you blew it? Uh, you know, I don't really like you very much, those sort of things. Um, they, they bring on shame. I've talked to, I can't even tell you how many people just constantly feel shame about when they let people down or that sort of thing, instead of just seeing it as guilt or seeing it as an opportunity to improve, you know, let's look at the data of why maybe somebody is quote, letting someone down, uh, and let's see what's underneath that. And, uh, we can work with that from a more strength-based place, not, not a shame-based place. So Brene Brown is, uh, again, she says, um, authenticity is the antidote to shame. And she defines authenticity as a collection of choices that we have to make every day. It's about the choice to show up and be real, the choice to be honest, the choice to let our true selves be seen. And um, Madeline Fry goes on to say, shame can debilitate us if we let it fester, but we can also overcome it. If actions speak louder than words, then honesty is purest when we express it through what we do. And embodying this kind of authenticity can do a lot more for us than combat shame. And so that's where she came up with these important lessons, these five important lessons we should learn about authenticity and shame from Brene Brown. The first one is, uh, no surprise, you must let go of shame to be authentic. So whenever Brown tells people that she studies shame, she says that the conversation often gets pretty awkward or it even flat out ends because shame is such a viscerally painful emotion. And, and that visceral reaction, I mean, it's just a we have such a, a, an immediate reaction. So shame is such a viscerally painful emotion that no one even wants to talk about it, even while its effects on our lives are profound. And because we have this this deep desire to connect, that's the that's the part where we are afraid to reveal our, our vulnerable, our authentic selves at the risk of being examined, or as Fry says, found lacking and rejected. Again, it goes back to that. If I am open, if I am authentic, then here will come the shame. And then uh, there will people won't want to hang out with me. People won't want to be friends with me. A lot of people that have become introverts or isolated or that sort of thing. I mean, they've already kind of made that decision that if people got to know who they were, you know, then they would not like them. So therefore, they are not willing to kind of put themselves out there and be authentic. And on that note, I mean, that's hard for me to see because I get to work with enough people and there's enough resources out there these days, even in the world of like online dating or meetup groups or that sort of thing, where, you know, if you really want to be authentic, you can connect with someone there. There are a lot of people out there that are probably uh, like a lot of the things that you do or, but it's hard because if you just kind of put yourself out there and, and, uh, and you're not being authentic, if you're not being true to yourself, then you're going to end up being around a lot of people that maybe aren't necessarily like that authentic self that you want to be, which is going to leave you feeling less than. So, um, Brown said, we cannot share ourselves with others when we see ourselves as flawed and unworthy of connection. And that is big. So that was from her book, uh, Thought It Was Just Me, but it isn't. She said, it's impossible to be real when we're ashamed of who we are, what we believe. 
And that's part of this whole struggle with this journey to authenticity. If you aren't, if, if you see yourself as flawed and unworthy of connection, you're not going to put yourself out there. You know, in the episode last week, episode 79, I had Nate Christensen on talking about his um, managing, what, 10 commandments of managing depression. One of the things that he said that I've used so much now is where at one point he said, hey, I'm not broken or I'm not flawed. He said, I'm Nate. And uh, and it was funny because I in my head, I was ready. I was kind of queuing up a talking in third person joke. Um, but but then it was like, boy, that struck me because, you know, you're not flawed. You're human. You're you. Um, that's who you are right now. Let's deal with that. So, you know, we ha- we can't see ourselves as flawed. Um, we're a work in progress and we're going to figure this thing out. So, so yet rather than worsening our chances of connecting with others, this is the, this is the great part. Um, Fry says that authenticity enables it. So again, so when we are authentic, it doesn't actually worsen our chances of connecting with others. It makes it better. Brown explains in her vulnerability Ted talk that what true connection requires of us, that we let go of who we think we should be in order to be who we are. When we choose to believe that we are worthy of love, when we marginalize shame and we become more comfortable expressing our authentic selves, that's the time Brown says that's being authentic. That's what is going to increase our chances of connecting with others. That's the part where when I say in that classroom uh, that I mentioned earlier that I, I have a you know not much of a memory for remembering um, scripture stories, but I have a tremendous amount of passion and love for others and and. Um, that's me being authentic. And guess what? Typically people come and, and want to share that they have a similar experience. Uh, there was a person in my uh, congregation that gave a talk once where they open up about mental health, um, struggles that they had, man, I went right to that person and said, I am so grateful for you being authentic and being vulnerable. Uh, and, uh, and that led, that has led to a, a nice friendship. So when we put ourselves out there, when we are being authentic, then we are going to feel more true to ourselves. And that is, we are typically, I mean, we are, we're going to increase our chances with connecting with others, others who maybe aren't to that point yet where they feel like they can't express who they are or their true emotions. So the good news is that we can, you know, we can choose how we want to work through shame in our lives. So in the book, I thought it was just me, but it isn't. Brown uses the term, she calls it shame resilience to explain how we can handle feelings of unworthiness that challenge our authenticity. She says, recognize shame when we experience it and then move through it in a constructive way that allows us to maintain our authenticity and grow from our experiences. So the first point is being, again, able to recognize it. Hey, I'm not broken. I'm not flawed. I'm Tony. And uh, and so just bringing some awareness to it, recognizing that recognizing that is going to be the first step in kind of helping us, as, as Brown says, move through it in a constructive way that allows us to maintain our authenticity and grow from our experiences. I think that leads right into Fry says, number two, the way to be authentic, being authentic does not mean bearing all, because I think that was kind of a nice flow here. She said vulnerability is the source of authenticity. And uh, that's the, what Brown explains in her book, Daring Greatly. But being real doesn't mean flaunting the details of our private lives necessarily. I don't want you to think that that's what we, ought, we have to do in order to be authentic. Some people do, and it, and it can really help others. But for others, that doesn't mean that that's the recipe that you have to do. So rather sharing your story with even sometimes a select few, um, that's, that can be wise. That's not closed off. Healthy vulnerability recognizes when to share and uh, even when to remain silent. And this can help you strike the balance, as Fry says, between guarding who you are at your core and expressing it. 
So, and it's, it's again, here comes a cliche, but it's a process to start to recognize it and then start to look for people that you can, you know, the select few, even at times that you can start to share a little bit more of your authentic, vulnerable self. So, it, you know, it's okay to speak the truth without speaking all of it. And in some cases, this is a uh, uh, Madeline Fry said, she, she likes to say, Hey, I'm having a rough day is a lot better than just saying, I'm doing great. And I know that we, you know, I've talked about this before too. There are people that we all run into in our lives that every time you see them, ah, I'm doing horrible or I'm always busy or I'm always tired. So I'm not talking about that because is that the authentic person? No, but the authentic person might be, man, today's a good day. I'm feeling it. Where another day might be, I don't know, something's, something's different. I'm a little off today. Instead of the person that's always, I'm great. I'm doing great. Doing great. So tasteful vulnerability is the foundation there's that hiccup. Sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> Tasteful vulnerability is the foundation of authenticity. Is it really a hiccup if it's been, what, 30 minutes? Or is that, am I just like embarrassingly hiding a bit of a belch? It might have been what that was. Um, and I'm not going to edit that out. Tasteful vulnerability, the foundation of authenticity, according to Fry. Uh, oversharing can often even make people seem fake. And uh, so that's the part where... Um, you know, and I've seen that a time or two where somebody's just going to go big, go all in on just sharing about every every single detail. And sometimes that can project a little bit of this, hey, I'm going to overshare in hopes that you will like that part of me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Not about, hey, this is the authentic me. So I think just kind of being aware of that is uh, is important as well. She goes on to say, number three, boundaries support authenticity. Those who have a strong sense of their own identity and the ability to express it um, always have healthy boundaries. Brown says he- setting healthy boundaries is simple. It comes down to letting others know what's okay and what's not. If you're uncomfortable with something, tell the person so, and you too can work towards a solution. Letting others have their own way and people pleasing do not make you a kind person. They make you a resentful person. I like that concept too. That's the part where, yeah, letting somebody, if we go back to that previous example of they're talking bad about cats and you love cats, um, then letting others just kind of talk about it. And then maybe if you're saying, yeah, I don't like them either, doesn't make you kind. It makes you resentful that, you know, you didn't stand up for yourself or or that you weren't able to kind of bring some uh, awareness to that conversation. When you let somebody cross a line that's important to you, then you're not doing either of you a favor by staying silent. Um, and I think that's a big, again, a big part of being authentic. Brene Brown uses the acronym BIG, B-I-G, to explain why boundaries are important. She said, we must set boundaries. There's the B to maintain our integrity and still make the most generous assumptions about others. So there was the big. Big was boundaries. Um, I was integrity. And then the G was uh, generous, still making generous assumptions about others. And this way, we express our authentic selves by sticking to our principles while also being as compassionate as possible. I think that's the key. One of the things is if you are standing up for your beliefs or yourself, it doesn't mean that you have to scream it, yell it, or you know, um, bring negativity to it. It's just about you know your boundaries to maintain your integrity, what's important to you, and still make the generous assumptions about others. Of I express my truth, and then I have empathy. I express empathy toward the other person. You know, uh, if they were, um, I don't know, if they were attacked by uh, a gang of several hundred cats when they were young, um, and we don't know anything about that, then maybe having that story will have a little bit more empathy for why they are not big fans of cats. All right, here's one that I honestly, I thought that I, I thought that this is something, not that I came up with, but I heard a long time ago and, and I use it a lot. I've said it on the podcast, but you know, don't should on somebody else. You should do this. You should do that. And, uh, Madeline Fry has it. Here's number four. We're all shooting ourselves. Um, may say, okay, uh, authenticity is threatened by two common pitfalls. And those pitfalls are perfectionism and comparison. She quotes Brown by saying, we simply can't speak our truths when we're held hostage by what other people think. 
Uh, Brown wrote in the book, I thought it was just me. She said, as we grow up, we filter our experiences through others. So we filter our experiences through others. That becomes part of our lens. And uh, we filter those through others' expectations, um, others' beliefs. And so when we learn to desire normalcy over authenticity, we become fake. And I think that's kind of uh, deep. So we, you know, we are just kind of seeing everything as if we're going to be judged by other people's experiences, by their expectations. So, so when we learn, or what she's saying is that when we learn to desire normalcy, or meaning that, hey, we just don't really want to rock the boat instead of being authentic, then that's when we become fake. Uh, in another TED Talk, Listening to Shame, Brene Brown explains that failing to meet the standard of perfection contributes, and in this case, she was talking about women in particular, contributes to women feeling shame. Thus, we get trapped in a vicious cycle of feeling shame after missing the perfectionist mark and then maintaining shame because our imperfections make us too afraid to express the authenticity that turns shame away. Break that one down, right? So trapped in this vicious cycle of feeling like we're supposed to be perfect, then feeling shame after missing the mark of being perfect because no one is going to hit that mark of being perfect, and then maintaining the shame because these imperfections make us too afraid to express the fact that we know that we can't be perfect, that we can't be authentic. Uh, And the full title of Daring Greatly, Brene Brown sums up the solution well. The full title says it's Daring Greatly, let go of who you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you are. Okay, and then the the fifth key that Fry says of uh, authenticity is authenticity is key to compassion. And the gifts of imperfection, Brene Brown says we can't be compassionate unless we're authentic. Being real with people then is not only essential to connection, but also to compassion. You have to be kind to yourself first and then to others. She quotes C.S. Lewis, who said, friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, what, you too? I thought that no one, I thought, I thought that no one but myself experienced whatever it was. The quote kind of cuts off there. But I love that, that what, you too? I think that's that part where when you feel like you are being authentic, that is when someone says, oh my gosh, that's, I, I know what you're talking about. I experienced that too. That's what's going to forge more of a genuine friendship than always feeling like I am being judged by my friends or I might say the wrong thing by my friends. And I think that's one of those things where people will say, you know, and it can sound cliche, but if you're going to express your truth or your authenticity and then the other person's going to say, oh, geez, I can't believe you said that, then is that the best kind of a friend? Is that is that a truly authentic friend? So without authenticity, these moments, these what you two moments are impossible. Authenticity makes way for compassion by expressing trust and allowing us to connect with others over shared experiences. So Fry goes on to say, when we begin to live authentically, authentically, we recognize our worth, we express vulnerability, we set boundaries, and only then can we turn outward and express compassion. So I love it. May, uh, she, she summed it up by saying, shame may be universal, but rejecting it? That's up to us. So what do you do from here? Uh, And I'm wrapping this up now, I promise. What do you do from here? Just listening to the podcast, hopefully you've started to do some self-reflection. If you're feeling shame about not feeling like you've been authentic, then bring some awareness to it. I I may be the first one to say, knock it off, but, uh, but that would bring shame. So awareness is the first step. So the first thing you do, just bring some awareness to the fact that, okay, maybe I'm not being as authentic as I want to be, and that does lead to shame. This might require an exercise in determining what your internal values are. I've done a couple of episodes on acceptance and commitment therapy, and it's in particular a book called The Confidence Gap by Russ Harris. And if you read that one, it goes into a lot about uh, an exercise on determining your values, because your values ultimately need to be in line with what your goals are. And there's a there there's actually a, a PDF... Um, file out there on the web. It's a confidence gap 
worksheet that uh, helps you identify your values. And I do it with people in session here, and it's pretty powerful. But also, learn to seek genuine connection. Seek to truly understand the people around you. The more genuine the connections with the people around you are, the more likely you're going to feel like you can truly be authentic. And, and do your best to try to remove the thought of thinking that you need to be perfect. You're human. And as humans, we're, we're flawed. We are. From the book, The Road Less Traveled, one of my favorite ones by M. Scott Peck. Again, he starts off by saying life is difficult, that that is one of the great truths. But once we understand and once we understand, we accept that life is difficult, then the fact that life is difficult no longer really matters. It's more of what we do with that fact that does. So start to learn how to truly be in the moment, be present, try to become a better listener. When you notice that your mind is starting to drift off somewhere else, don't beat yourself up about it because there comes the shame. Um, just de- gently notice, bring your mind back to the present. The more you do this exercise, the more natural it will become and the easier it will be to help you regain focus. Um, people know when you're not there. I have to tell you, you know, as a therapist, my job is to stay connected with people in session, but I'm keenly aware of folks who the moment that I start to kind of talk or express anything, they tune out. They're getting antsy. They're agitated because they want to craft their next response. So learn how to be present. Um, but in, in all of this will lead to this feeling of authenticity. And that's, that is my hope. My prayer for all of you is that you will You will just truly start to believe that you can find that authentic you. And not only just that you can find it, but by living this more authentic life, that that you will feel more connected to others, that you will develop more um, deep relationships and friendships, and that this will just become a feeling, a normal feeling of just feeling connected and being authentic. You're still going to have the ups and downs, the bumps in the road, but boy, they they are, I feel like they are a lot... um, they are a lot more uh, workable, workable problems when you are truly being authentic to yourself. All right. Hey, thanks for your time today, folks. I will see you next time on the virtual couch. And uh, taking us out, as always, is the wonderful, the talented Aurora Florence with It's Wonderful. Compressed emotions flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is Wasting rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most
Strengths and power. 